Well, I wanted to give you a quick follow-up from last Sunday. We had the, the Mad Sunday, Make a Difference Sunday, and I was uh, really thankful for the way that things turned out. I guess we had somewhere in the neighborhood of about uh, 50 people, somewhere around there, going out into the neighborhoods. And we were able to, in just a couple of statistics, we gave away 16 Bibles. We offered them to anybody that would like a Bible. 16 were given away. We had nine gospel conversations. It means that we got far enough in the conversation, we were able to share something about Jesus Christ. And we prayed with more than 40 people out in the neighborhood. And, you know, that was the one thing that really amazed me when we came back and we were sharing testimonies about what had happened is to hear the number of people say, we prayed together. And I'm so thankful for you as a church getting to the point where you are more and more comfortable with praying for other people in their midst. Not just saying, I will pray for you, but taking the time to pray for them. So thanks for all of those uh, who went out. I think you did make a difference out in the community. Uh, we had a very unusual, and I shared it when we came back. Ours was very unusual. Uh, Michelle and I went to a house in our neighborhood and while, I mean, we had no sooner introduced ourselves and the lady invited us inside, which is pretty uncommon. And then she explained to us that her father is on hospice and she took us in there so that we could pray with him. And I thought, if nothing else, we made a difference in one man's life of being able to pray over him and talk about the confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. Today, um, I'm thankful for what's going on uh, over at Calvary. We know that Calvary has had a lot of challenges over the last couple of years, and today uh, Dr. Justin Buchanan is coming in view of a call there, so we want to pray for that church as they consider uh, who might be their new pastor. And then I want to pray for all of us here. Most of us are in a struggle right now, and some of us feel like that struggle is overwhelming. Some of you, though, you're in a sweet spot right now. And I want you to know we celebrate with you because the Bible tells us to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and to weep with those who are weeping. So let's take a moment now to pray over our congregation and for other congregations in our area. Lord, we thank you for your interest in our lives. The fact that as we see these scriptures on the wall, you demonstrated your love for us long before we had any inkling of how we might love you. Your love became, came long before we even thought about loving you in return. While we were steeped in our sin, hopeless and helpless, you demonstrated your love for us, and we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that our greatest need will always be to be in right relationship with you, and that through Christ we can have that. Thank you. Lord, we pray over those in our congregation now that are in a struggle. That's most of us. And some of us, it just feels overwhelming. I pray that you would minister to them in such a way that they, they feel, experience your sustaining grace and your prevailing peace. We may not know exactly what they're going through, but you do. And you promise in your word that we can lean into you and that you will help us that you will strengthen us and you will uphold us in the palm of your righteous right hand. Thank you for your word that tells us that you are more than capable of meeting our needs, your limitless supply through Jesus Christ. So please minister to those in our congregation that are having a challenging time even now. And we pray for those that are right in the sweet spot of life and things are going well. We celebrate with them. 
Lord, we don't want to walk around in heaviness or be jealous or envious. We just are grateful. We pray that that would just continue to be the pathway for them. And might they, in the midst of their celebration, be grateful, filled with hearts of, of gratitude and thanks to you. Lord, thank you for our church and the influence that it has in this community. The opportunity that we had last Sunday evening to go out and to, to meet people, stand at the doors and, and meet total strangers, and in a moment of time, build a bond through Christ, to pray for people. Lord, we are grateful for the churches in our community. We're not the only one in town, and we're thankful for that. So many different kinds of churches that are reaching out to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Calvary being one. And we think now of the, the journey that they have been over the last couple of years, struggles that they have been through, the healing that they are seeking. And now we pray that Dr. Buchanan would be the answer to their prayers and that he would come in and be a, a tremendous pastor that would love them well and to lead them well, that they would know what it is to flourish as a congregation. So Lord, your goodness is so obvious to us all. And we thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul warned about false teaching because it was prevalent and deadly. If you're reading through the Bible, you saw in Titus chapter 1, <coughs> verse 11, that false teaching is literally ruining households. It's important for us to be aware of that because false teaching is so destructive. When we think about what we see even now on television each and every day, the carnage that is taking place over in the Middle East, it reminds us that erroneous beliefs are deadly. Even in this room, how prevalent are false teachings? The airways that fill this room are filled with false teaching. By simply getting on the internet, you can find a limitless supply of teaching and counsel that would steer you away from God, which is what false teaching is. It's anything that pushes you or pulls you away from God. Since Paul wrote that warning, the battle has only intensified and the carnage grows greater every single day. Friends, we are soldiers in the battle for truth and salvation. Truth leads to salvation. And if we are not in the battle, we will flag to the truth and many will not experience salvation. The battle for truth and salvation is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Paul has been talking to Timothy, trying to give him guidance and direction as he leads the church at Ephesus. And as he does so, we're reminded today of the end times. People often look to the Middle East for signs about the end times. And we are seeing that today. But the tendency is to note the wars and the rumors of wars. But Paul stated the end times would also involve false teaching, and the abandonment of faith. False teaching is driving the barbaric brutality, and it's decimating families and communities as we see in the Middle East today. 
whenever God's word is usurped for another authority, people suffer. Whenever God's word is usurped for another authority, people suffer. Paul noted that the last days would bring the abandonment of faith. And although this has been happening for thousands of years, we're seeing even in more recent days in America this phenomenon of nuns. And you say, well, I've heard about that. They're Catholics, right? N-O-N-E-S, nuns. It's a sector of our population that identifies as having no religious affiliation. That currently accounts for 30% of Americans who say, I have no affiliation with any particular religious entity, and it's growing rapidly. As Paul talked about the abandonment of faith in the latter days, and more importantly than the latter days, is for us where we live right now is to recognize that false teaching leads to the abandonment of the faith. Listen to these two statistics about American culture. 52% of Americans agree with the statement that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. So right then, we put a line right down the middle of America, and we have said half would perceive of Jesus as not being the Son of God. And they have bought into the false teaching that the one who said, I am the Son of God and the only one who can make you right with God, they say, that guy who lied about that is really a great teacher. You can't be both. That's what C.S. Lewis said so many times. You can't say that Jesus is a great teacher, yet he lied about the most important element of life, and that is eternal life. We follow that up with this one. Almost the same number, 49% disagree with this statement. They say, I don't believe this. The Bible has the authority to tell us what we must do. So as you look at America, you would say that half don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and virtually half say the Bible has no right or authority over my life. That's false teaching. And whenever we usurp the authority of God's Word for another authority, people suffer. But what we're going to see is that this is nothing new. You read in Jeremiah recently, Jeremiah 29, 32. Shemaiah was a false prophet. And by the way, if you're just struggling in your life and you're thinking life is just not fair, just go back and read Jeremiah. I mean, when you look at his life, it's just like, man, this, this guy just, it was tough. And, I, and I, one of the passages that I think is just is, is so interesting is when he's down in the cistern and this guy graciously throws a bunch of rags down there because they're going to pull him up with the ropes and they, they know that if you're stuck in the mire or the mud down the bottom of a cistern and when you start pulling somebody up with ropes underneath their arms, that's just going to, man, that's going to hurt. So the Bible says, just this little bit of detail, they throw the rags down there so he can stick them under there. And, and interesting that the rags were, they, they found them in the temple. Anyway, and all that said, just commiserate if you're having a difficult time thinking about Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 29, 32, Shemaiah is noted as the one who, quote, preached rebellion against God. 
And that's a common theme throughout all of the Old Testament, is preaching rebellion against God, of believing that there is another authority outside of God and his word. And so as Paul is addressing this in Ephesus, and we get to, to eavesdrop on that today, we're reminded that ungodly rebellion against the truth is relentless. Ungodly rebellion against the truth is relentless. And I think our tendency would say, yes, I agree, but I'm tired. Yes, I agree, but I'm tired. It just keeps on coming, and so that's exactly what it wants to do, just to wear us down until we no longer want to fight. It says the Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. Anything that usurps God and his authority is a false teaching, and it may not look like a demon is teaching it, but it's straight from the pit of hell. And we look at the latter times and we ask, okay, well, does this mean that we are in the, the, the last days? We may be, but more importantly, we're probably in our last days, right? We don't have that many years left. And we often get enamored with that, but what Paul was writing, talking about the last days that they did in the, Old, in the New Testament, they were talking about the time from when Christ ascended until he comes back. That was the last days, and they were fully anticipating, eagerly anticipating his return, just as so many of us are today. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. The picture there is that their conscience no longer works. Our conscience is a gift from God. It's like an engine light that helps us to discern between right and wrong. And something goes off and says, this, is, this doesn't seem right, even if you're a non-Christian. But if that gets seared, nothing looks wrong. And it's a, it's a two-fold term there. It means they've been branded. There's a mark on them. You can tell that they are a false teacher. They're hypocritical liars. Jesus spoke constantly against hypocrisy because we are to live authentic lives of integrity in which things make sense together. There's no duplicity. And here are some of the teachings that they were giving. Church at Ephesus, okay? Saying that they were forbidding people to marry, and they were ordering them to abstain from certain foods. But God's created all foods to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good. And so what they were saying is, it may be Jesus and something else. You abstain from certain foods. You, you have to hold back on certain things. You can't eat those things. You have to work harder for your salvation. And then because many believed that the resurrection had already taken place, they were saying, don't get married. It'll, it'll distract you. Anybody think marriage will distract you? Yeah, it distracts you a little bit. Don't get married. You don't want to be distracted because the second coming is, is imminent. And so don't get married. And we look at these and we're reminded that the, those are both great gifts. Anybody, anybody like food? I mean, most of us like food too much, right? And it, Paul is saying, that's false teaching to say that you have to do something else to earn your salvation, like abstain from food. Now, does that mean that you can't fast? Fasting is a wonderful thing. It, well, it's not fun, but it's a wonderful thing. And it helps us in our discipline. Marriage, gift from God. 
Remember in the creation, the only thing God said was not good? It's not good for man to be alone. And this is before sin. And he said, marriage is a wonderful thing. We live in a time in which marriage has taken on completely different meaning in our culture. We are living in a time when more people are unmarried than ever before in American history. It's taken a different twist. And what about food? Jesus said in Mark 7, 19, it said in, in that scripture, it says, Jesus declared all foods to be clean. It will just constantly be coming. Rebellion against the truth is relentless. It was then, it is now. It comes in all shapes and sizes. So, train for godliness. So you can righteously rebel against relentless, ungodly rebellion. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Look at it again. Train for godliness. So you can righteously rebel. Any of you rebels? We need to be righteous rebels. Some of us were just rebels. You know, we just kind of chafe against certain things. But God is calling us to be righteous rebels against relentless, ungodly rebellion. We're called to be soldiers to stand for and battle for the truth. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Speaking to Timothy and to all ministers, point out false teaching and the concerns about it. And if, if you're not in with me yet, we will get there soon, okay? I'm going to give you a contemporary analogy or a picture of this, example of this very soon. Nourished on the truths of the faith. Truth is what nourishes us, not falsehoods. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. That's what was circulating around. Remember we talked earlier in the book of Timothy, they would take genealogies and they would twist off all these different stories about it and they would make those the authority for people's lives. Myths, it just accentuates these are not truthful. And the way that Paul writes this, and I hope nobody would take offense to this, please, nobody take offense to this. In the original language, he writes and says, stuff like that should be reserved for old ladies to talk about when they have nothing else to talk about. That is not stuff that you live your life on. And so as he's guiding, he said, don't have anything to do with that. But instead, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves all acceptance. So Paul is saying, train for godliness so we can righteously rebel against relentless, ungodly rebellion. We think just a couple of obituaries that have come out over the last week. And some of us are old enough to remember Dick Butkus, the original monster of the midway of the Chicago Bears that defined the position of middle linebacker. But now he's gone. He's entered into eternity. As strong as he was, he's gone. Walt Garrison, he was as tough as boot leather being a fullback for the Dallas Cowboys. In fact, he was so tough that after he would finish practicing with the Dallas Cowboys, he would then go out at night and he would wrestle steer in rodeos until Tom Landry found out and made him stop. How about Mary Lou Retton? 55 years of age, the darling of the 1984 Olympics, an Olympic sensation. First female athlete to grace the box of Wheaties. But she nearly died 
this last week, in her 50s, and all of these trained diligently. Arnold Schwarzenegger, he began lifting weights at the age of 15, and five years later, at the age of 20, he won Mr. Universe, unprecedented. And then he would be Mr. Olympia seven times. Now he's 76 years of age, still works out, but he can't bench press more than 120. Wouldn't it be great to just go out and say, I can bench press more than Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> but it is impressive that he can still do that at 76. But he says that he's angry that most of his life is behind him. Physical fitness. Ed didn't really understand the lab results that he got back on his physical when he'd entered into the patient portal. So he did, like so many of us, when you can't understand the portal, you call your doctor. He told the doctor he couldn't interpret the results. So the doctor explained it this way. Ed, it's pretty simple. It's like this. Your check engine light is on. That's kind of the way our health is going to end up. As healthy as we may feel now, ultimately the check engine light comes on. And what Paul is saying there is physical training is of some value. This is not a statement to say you should not train and be physically fit. In fact, the time in which he was writing, you would have athletes in which they would train, and if they trained well enough, they would be exempt from taxes and could get free food for a year. I mean, this is not just Chick-fil-A for a year. This is free food for life is what they would get. So there were some benefits to it. We all know the physical benefits of it. We went up to see my mom uh, this weekend, and we stayed at the Cooper Clinic. I don't know what was going on in Denton this last week, but hotels were like $350 a night. And so we're like, I mean, Motel 6 was 150 bucks. I don't know, what is going on? So we found the Cooper Clinic, world-renowned institute, $117 a night. Man, that was a deal. When we went there, what was interesting is because years ago, we would go by that place, and we only wished that we could work out there. We only wished that we could get in because it was a premier place. But now when you go there, it's still world-renowned, but you can see the facilities diminishing. It was the model for which the, uh, the, the Recreation Aerobics Center at Southwestern Seminary was built a decade later. I remember our professors bragging about the fact that they would lose weight by not walking a single block because they did not believe in physical exercise. We should stay healthy because we can minister more effectively in a healthy body. But it has limited returns. That's why he says, train for godliness because it benefits you in this life and in the next. Godly training requires hard work and strong faith. Look at verse 10 with me. This is why we labor and strive. Why do we labor and strive? Because we want people to come to know Christ, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Friends, I think we could all agree that life is an uphill climb, right? And godly living is an even steeper incline. And so when it comes to life, sometimes we just want to get off because it's hard. And then we try to take the godly path, and it's even a steeper incline. And Paul says we can't just try. 
We can't just try to be godly, just like you can't just try to be physically healthy. You must train. You don't just go out and try to run a marathon. You might try, and you might even be successful the first 15 miles, but then you'll flag. You must train for it. See, Jesus is the one who does the saving, but we must put forth the effort. I think we get caught up in that tension of sometimes thinking that we're saved not by works, so there's nothing for us to do. In our salvation, our only job is to repent and to turn to Christ, and He does the saving. But in our sanctification, we are expected to exert energy, and part of that is discernment. It's not just physical effort, it's discernment. That's part of the hard work. Here's where we come to a very contemporary situation. I've shared with you, I'm guessing a couple months ago, about Andy Stanley. It grieves me the direction that he has taken because he has been such a powerful influence on my life. He's a great leader, unbelievable communicator. Millions upon millions of people watch him. They have nearly 40,000 people gathered together on the weekends for their gathering at their church of North Point, multiple campuses. You will recall, and some of you watch him on television, and most of what you see is very good. But in recent days, at the end of September, they hosted, called an unconditional conference. And what I'm about to say almost feels like I'm dogpiling because there's so many people talking about this, but I'm going to go from a little bit different angle. The idea was that we would bring together these people that are helping out with the LGBTQ issues and talk to our, the people that wanted to come to the conference, he was saying, and to help them to deal with these issues. And they took a whole lot of flack for it because some of the, some of the speakers, the keynote speakers, to give guidance and direction to the people that were dealing with these issues were two men who were married to men. And then Andy Stanley, after the conference, defended having the conference and their position. Now let me just bracket that for just a moment. It's been over a decade ago that he began this idea that somehow we need to unhitch Christianity from the Old Testament. It's kind of like it's irrelevant. And so part of Scripture is kind of pushed to the side. Then he started, and again, friends, the reason I'm telling you this is not to bash Andy Stanley, but to talk about false teaching, because some of you have slept through this whole thing, and it's like, I don't see any false teaching here, I'm good. It is all around us, it's pervasive, and it's so subtle. Because if you turned on Andy Stanley, you're not going to say, man, that's a demon, that's false teaching. You're going to say, that's, what's he talking about? That's great. Then he started moving towards the idea that we believe in the resurrection, not because the Bible says so. It's way better than that, he would say. So we've taken the Old Testament, we've put it off to the side. Now we've taken the New Testament, we've kind of moved it over here. Yet he continues to use Scripture, and even as he defended himself and their church in this unconditional conference, he said, we still believe what we have been teaching about relationships and marriage and sexuality. 
And if you were listening, he would check every box in which he would say, that's accurate, that's biblical, that's correct. Checked every single box. But then he took one step further. And he began to explain how that those in same-sex relationships had come to the realization that they just couldn't sustain biblical obedience. He didn't say those exact words. He just said they came to the conclusion that they, it was unsustainable. Meaning to have same-sex attractions, it's unsustainable to not act upon those. And so they act upon them. Unsustainable. Friends, do you see how slippery of a slope that is? That means biblical obedience is unsustainable. And we can say, well, you know, they're talking about one particular area over here. But what if we roll that over into all different areas of life? Faithfulness in marriage. It's just unsustainable for me right now. Forgiving what's been done to me, it's just unsustainable. I can't obey Scripture there. Tithing as a Christian, I just can't keep up my lifestyle and still do that. It, it's unsustainable. Honesty, it's just unsustainable for me to be honest. I love to gossip, it's just unsustainable not to. Do you see where that slope goes? You open the door just enough to say, for these it's unsustainable. And then the door just continues to open and you have Pandora's box, which we will continue to see. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11, through 11, Paul was saying, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have relationships with sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. We look at some of the big ones there, but what about the greedy? Is it unsustainable with our greed? And then Paul gives us a great hope. He says, and that's what some of you were. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ. You were changed for all of eternity. One last thing on what's being communicated there. In his defense, Andy Stanley has noted, and again, friends, I want you to know he has been a hero of mine. We have given away books to our, our, our high school graduates for years. Great guidance for them. But I won't anymore because I don't want him to follow the rest of the teaching that goes there. He might be 99% solid, but that 1% is way too dangerous. And one of the things he said is that those who disagree are drawing lines, but Jesus drew circles. And to the rich young ruler, he didn't say, tell you what, Let's just draw a circle around here, and you keep your money, you do what you want, we'll call it good. To the rich young ruler, he drew a line in the sand and said, sell all you possess and come follow me. And he chose not to cross the line. And Scripture tells us that Jesus, what? Loved him. It wasn't like, I don't like you because you have a lot of money. 
And all the disciples are, man, you realize what we could be doing with this guy's money? I mean, we wouldn't have to do fishing anymore. But Jesus drew a line. There are lines in the sand. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Does that feel like a circle? That's a line. Friends, I've taken an inordinate amount of time to explain that. But simply to say, we need to be cautious because these are relevant things. And that's happening wide open in front of everybody. You can only imagine what you can find in dark corners. Godly training is fueled by righteous examples, biblical devotion, perseverance, eternal focus. Paul writes to Timothy and says, be an example. In everything you do, be an example. We are to be training in such a way that we will be an example to other people. We do that by devoting ourselves to Scripture to the exhortation of Scripture, to the teaching of Scripture. He says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Picture baptism. Just all in on what God's Word has to say. And keep a close watch on yourself, on your teaching, and persevere. Friends, I know for some of you, you're ready to quit. You're ready to give up. God hasn't answered your prayer the way that you had hoped. You may not even be mad at him. You're just ready to quit because you don't think it works. And God's word says, persevere, persist. You know what? It never worked out for Jeremiah. He was never able to cash in on his 401. He never got the sweet life. But we're still reading about him 3,000 years later, maybe not that many years, you think about that. Would Jeremiah give for what he has now? So, in closing, the point you've all been waiting for. <laughs> Who are you watching? Who are the examples that you're following? Are they godly examples that will help you to rise higher rather than to float at the status quo? What are you doing Biblical devotion, perseverance, is that a part of your life? What are you doing? Who are you watching? What are you doing? And where are you focused? That's what Paul was saying. Focus on the eternal, not on the temporal, not on the now, but on the eternal. Friends, I try to end each week by reminding us that there are four eternal things that everybody needs to know. And that is that God loves us and he's created us to have a relationship with him. But because of our sin, we are alienated from God. We are not just a little bit different. We are enemies with God because of our sin. But thankfully, Jesus Christ can make us right with God. And the fourth thing is we can be changed for all of eternity. That's what Paul was talking about here. You don't have to be stuck where you feel like it's unsustainable. You can be changed for all of eternity. But there's one thing we must do. And that's receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, asking him to forgive us of our sins and committing ourselves to following him in obedience the rest of our lives. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to join me in a prayer in just a moment. For all of us as Christians, I don't know how this message lands on you. It's like a thousand different places it can come. But you just talk to God right now. You know, it could be that the false teaching for you, saying, well, yeah, we're not doing the Stanley stuff. I understand that. Maybe the false teaching for you is found in the book of Hebrews. It says, do not forsake your assembling together. And for you, the false teaching is, church isn't just that, it's not that significant. 
Don't need to be active. Don't need to be engaged. Don't need to invest. Don't need to invite. Scripture says that's false teaching. The church is eternally important. For some of us, the false teaching is, I think it's all going to work out. It's just all going to work out in the end. And you're skirting on your need to receive Christ. So I'd like to lead us in a prayer, and you pray as God leads you. God, we thank you for your word that guides us and directs us, and I pray that you would help it to fall exactly where it needs on each of our hearts, and that our hearts would be like the fertile soil, that when your seed of your word falls in our lives, it would bear fruit, and it wouldn't be swiftly taken away by the evil one or choked out by the cares of the world or just snuffed out for lack of effort, lack of depth. Lord, Lord, we know that there may be someone listening online or someone in this room that has never submitted their life to you as Lord and Savior. And if they haven't, I pray that they would voice a prayer similar to this, Lord Jesus. I recognize that I'm a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have. And I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, I recognize even in trying to communicate this morning that how we are so desensitized to false teaching that we just have, we just don't think very hard about it and to realize that we could be falling prey to it and not even realize it, knowing that it will take us in a very bad way. So raise our discernment so that we'd be fixated upon what your word says and we'd be obedient to it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. If you would like someone to pray with you, our deacons will be standing back at each one of these aisles, the deacon and his family for this month. And uh, you can go back there and pray with them. Deacons, if you go ahead and start moving in that direction. Or did you guys already go to the meeting? So deacons move back there in the aisles so people can see. And we'll just wait for you guys to move so that we have some deacons in the aisles there so people can see that you'll be there to pray with them. And then I'll be standing over here at the cross if you want to come and and, uh, pray with me. Or meet us at the communication center after the service with one of these communication cards. So let's, uh, let's stand together and let's worship together.
Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a Savior, isn't he cross as you wait for the crown tell the world of the treasure you found 
let's tell the world about the treasure that we have found in Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.